guys, this is Crime Scene Analysis. I am Angie. Yes. And I'm Caroline. And we are here to bring you all things episode 207, Face Value. The last of the Mohicans before the dark times. <laughs> we're, we're back for one week. And here. then we, yeah. <laughs> so this episode was written by L'Oreal Marger, who also wrote Pied Terre. And the stranger beside you. So some some quality episodes there in episode mm. in season one. And it was directed by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Lou Diamond Phillips. Woo! <laughs> um, so much to say about the creative eye as well as well as the uh, the writing, but we'll we'll come to that when we get there. So we open. Um, to a Criminal Minds fan's delight um, at Quantico in a very similar situation to what happens in the pilot of Criminal Minds. So I was like, oh, old school. Yeah. Um, at the 22nd mark, we find it is 2015. So four years prior to punching Tennessean sheriffs, uh, Malcolm is indeed lecturing at the FBI headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, it was giving me some serious professor vibes. And as a fellow teacher, I was like, oh, Professor Malcolm's a new thing I didn't know I needed in my life. Yep, yep. I enjoyed it a lot. It was FBI Malcolm that they gave us teeny piece of. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can't get him in a jacket shooting up people, I'll take him being a professor at Quantico, I suppose. Yes, yep. So, speaking of Quantico, Jess, give us a lowdown. Yeah, so Quantico is a uh, place a word that probably a lot of us have heard if you're like me and you grew up on any kind of crime show uh because it's especially crime shows that have to do with the federal government or dc you know um, any of those federal entities so i really quickly wanted to look up quantico because we hear it so much and actually i learned that quantico uh we know is in virginia it is an actual town and I thought I was misreading this wrong, so I had to like read it multiple times and look at some maps. So the town is actually 0.1 square mile, the town itself. It's a real town. <laughs> it has just over 500 people in it, and it's about 35 miles from DC. So when we hear Quantico, it's not actually the town of Quantico because everything that is being that that was listed that I saw that was there uh, will not fit in this 0.1 square mile and have its residence. So the term Quantico actually expands geographically outside the actual town and it consists of a ton of federal entities including one of the largest U.S. Uh, marine bases I believe it was marine yeah and that marine base has a whole ton of other things, but the more notable ones are the FBI Academy, Malcolm, that's why he's there, uh, and their lab that they have. There's various officer schools, the DEA Academy, so Drug Enforcement Administration, and my favorite, the NCIS headquarters. And yes, NCIS is a real federal entity. It's the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and I'm not going to lie, I really wanted to work for them at one point because we have a field office in Newport here in Rhode Island. Although it's kind of boring because it just deals with cyber crimes. But because <laughs> we don't actually have a legitimate naval base here anymore. But yeah, so that's uh, a little bit about Quantico. Very nice. At the 48 second mark, I really love this line that he says while lecturing, which is there's another type of killer 
and for them murder is an addiction which is clearly referencing Ainsley with all the flashbacks and things like that but this is the first time in the episode that we get Ainsley's theme it's not even a minute in and that theme now that I originally lost my mind over in episode 204 that I totally compared to like Thor Ragnarok because I love the little techno sound that it does um it it weaves a ton throughout this episode. There are like little three second snippets like here, there, here, there. And then by the end later, it's like full blown shenanigans. Um, so that is the first time that we hear it. And it has officially like, I guess, kind of come to fruition as an inverted theme of the Martin theme. So the first time we heard it in 204, it was kind of like, ooh, sort of reminiscent, but maybe not, but it's Ainsley, so we know it is. And by this point now, it's like, if you were to mark the notes of Martin's theme or the we're the same theme and mark hers, they almost like invert as you go, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. Um, and a really pathetic reference, which Britt <laughs> probably just cut this because this is really horrible. Being the mother of a four-year-old, um, I see a lot of Paw Patrol, unfortunately. Oh, I do too. <laughs> you okay, wouldn't believe so how you... much old people love Paw Patrol. <laughs> okay, so you might mother. get this. You might get this. So there is a Paw Patrol theme, right? The do 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 Okay. But I'm over here there is the anti-Paw Patrol, which is the Kitty Catastrophe crew. Oh my And God. their theme is do do do. Do, 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 Fuck do, that. Do, do, oh do. my God. They have, a, they have the inverted theme. And again, me, this is the crap that I do. Um, I'm praising, you know, Nathaniel Bloom in the evening. And in the daytime, I'm like, that's an inverted theme of the Paw Patrol. I wonder what that could possibly symbolize. <laughs> the secret life of Angie. There you go, guys. Now you hear it. Oh now you know yeah, yeah. Let's, like let's write a tell all about that. I don't think I'll get as much money as Jess would. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, but it's so it's very similar to, to that how it inverts but is similar um and i'm i'm loving it i'm loving that martin's theme has like the powerful full string orchestra behind it that just grates on your nerves and sounds mm-hmm. like a horror film and hers is very new age techno but it still has that epic sound like she's a threat yeah she is a legitimate oh, probably equalish to martin at this point but we have kind of the old school meets the new school in the way that he writes it at the one minute 10 second mark um watching this whole Ainsley blood reveal crap knowing the ending now just infuriates me the level of straight face that she keeps during this whole thing while he is absolutely freaking out Mm -hmm. and I, I I will go into this later when kind of that full reveal hits but it's she has hit the dark side like full-on drinking the kool-aid of the dark side and i'm like man (laughs) i I get it like it works well to forward the plot but -hmm. at the same time like like carol and i talked about in the one episode like there are points and decisions that happen that there's no going back from like this is now a new plateau and we can't go back and that this episode for Ainsley is absolutely a plateau that there is no coming back from. Mm -hmm. And I think that it like now the fact that we know the ending I think it speaks Mm -hmm. to the fact that she is very believable and she is a very great actress in being able to pull this off because without knowing the ending she looks absolutely terrified. 
and Malcolm like, does I'll too. Be, like, I'll be yeah. honest, that end reveal later, it, I mean, I, I was like, wait, what? This is the direction? Like, I was not expecting that. Yeah. I thought, okay, who have we killed? I was speculating yes. who, who the dead body was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think everybody was, and rightfully so. And in that moment, um, as we go into the title card, um, Nathaniel Bloom does this really awesome thing where he blends the We're the Same theme and the Techno Ainsley theme together mm. as the title card pops up. And I secretly want to like, I don't know, maybe I'll have Britt rip that music just for me so I can have like that blended <laughs> techno thing because it's really cool. I want it. At the four minute, 15 second mark, we are officially at our first crime scene with the victim. Um, I love how they very strategically have the victim laid like the chair is spun around. So it delays that reveal on Malcolm wanting to know, was this Ainsley that much more? Yes. Um, yep. And this reveal, I, I just wrote, my notes just say, holy balls. That's what my <laughs> notes say. Like, I gotta be honest, for me, this might be, it's either this or Jerry's broken jawbone sticking out the side of his face. In terms of gruesome level 12. Like, it, it was probably the most gruesome. I just kept going, this, oh, yeah. geez. Like, it was well done to make up props. Whoever was involved yeah. with that, it is gloriously disgusting. <laughs> And that's what you're looking for with that. So good for you. Thank you for the nightmares I will have in the future of that face. <laughs> but you did a wonderful job and well done. Yes. And so probably this is what I have been waiting. It has it been two weeks. It was like two weeks for this episode. Yeah. This is what I have been waiting two weeks for because ever since we saw that first promo where Adresa said she was Botoxed to death, I was like, <gasps> because... <laughs> You were so excited the other day. I have. I was like, Caroline's awake. And you were like, I can't wait to tell you why I'm so excited. I have never been more excited in my entire life. Well, no, I have. But (laughs) we, oh my God. All right. So basically what happened here is botulism. So um, botulism is the condition that results from this toxin, which is called botulinum toxin, which is made into Botox. Basically what botulism, botulinum toxin is, is a toxin. It is technically, and as I found out in researching this, there was a research paper that where it was called the most poisonous poison, which sounded like a first grade writing assignment, but I was like, all right, whatever. Um, (laughs) But it is actually true. It is considered the most poisonous poison known to humans. It is more poisonous than cobra venom a lot of things that what I had said on Twitter where I had asked people to fill half a coffee cup with um, fill half a cup of coffee beans that is how much botulinum toxin it would take to wipe out the entire human race and it is super interesting because um, it can either what it what it basically does is it stops um, your muscles from contracting Um, I can get super technical and did it but you guys would have no idea what I'm talking about so I'm going to stop there it makes your muscles stop contracting which is why we like to use it for wrinkles because the reason why you get wrinkles is because the muscles are contracting but if you inject too much of it if you eat too much of it this is why we don't give honey to babies because it can grow in honey blah 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 blah. um what it causes is a descending paralysis where it starts to affect all of your nerves um in a downward direction Um, and then it can eventually lead to death. And this is why um, I have actually been, as a student, I was 
working with a patient who had um, botulism and yeah, I got to work. I know two things that were going on in this episode as a result of being an SLP. Um, yet sadly, no SLPs were mentioned in any of the articles that I read, which was fine, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but in the case of our dead body, I, in all of my research, I have never seen it get to the point where like your face kind of like sloughs off the way that mm -hmm. this, <laughs> I'm sorry for using that word, but that's what was happening. So yeah, that's... I had no, I, I had no idea that it worked like north to south essentially. Yeah. yeah. yeah and and that makes sense. I mean, it does make sense like gravity wise and stuff like, oh, okay. But that was just, you know, me and my spare change get a yeah. lot of Botox. It's an interesting... no, and they're not, they're not really sure why that happens. Cause it, I mean, you can eat it and you would still get the descending paralysis, but huh. that's one of the telltale signs that is how people distinguish it from something else like um, Guillain-Barre, which is often a result of like a stomach bug or sometimes the flu vaccine, rarely. Um, <laughs> that's an ascending paralysis. So it starts in your toes and it works its way up, whereas huh. botulism is a descending. So that's wow. when you're, yeah, deciding what someone has, that's one of the telltale signs is if they, you know, you start with like, like a droopy eyelid and then eventually mm -hmm. you get dysphagia, which is my bread and butter, which is trouble swallowing. And then you start to slowly shut yourself down. So at the 543 mark, we meet 30, I'm assuming Milton, it's never said, but I'm calling her Milton because mm -hmm. she doesn't seem to have a husband roaming around. Um, and once again, Mr. Bloom with the music cues, I am absolutely in <laughs> yes, love with, with the jazz cue for multiple yes. reasons. First of all, jazz is such a badass era of music. It's, you can't not move to it. Like mm -hmm. you can be sitting in bed under a weighted blanket and in Malcolm restraints and your head will be doing this. Like you <laughs> have to bounce to jazz. Um, but the, the nice thing about it is that there's very, there, let me rephrase. There are a lot of symbolic elements to that as well, especially in light of the Milton family. So um, jazz is very much something that's kind of considered classic. It shows up at like classic dinner parties, things like that, things that the wealthy old money families like the Miltons would have had. Um, it's also symbolic of the massive love affair with drinking and prohibition. Mm. Can't imagine yes. what family likes to drink. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> True. Um, and it also, it's, it fits so nice with like the hustle and bustle she's causing all the servants yes. in the, in the yes. household is everything about it. Like there's symbolic levels, there's just catchy levels, the actual tune that mm -hmm. it's playing is just, you know, like, like you just want to sit there and jam to it. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Cause I looked up and there were people moving around with music and I was like, this, That's is, what I was gonna this say. is really cool. Yeah, it felt like people were almost moving to the beat with it. Like the, mm -hmm. the franticness in the room fit the music so well. Absolutely. And it was the first time I think we've seen more than like one or two servants. It's like, oh, okay, they have a crew. They like have they a have staff. 45 people <laughs> yeah. on staff. Yeah. Yeah. Not on, you know, two or three people doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Which makes me think, where did she pull all these people out of? Like, where was it like Downton Abbey where they're all downstairs in the basement? <laughs> She's like, get up here. <laughs> she, she wouldn't go downstairs. She would just open the door and go, excuse me, help. Yep. Help, I need Excuse you. Me? Excuse me, peasants. Oh my God. Peasants <laughs> on the first floor, peasants. <laughs> oh Which, I, no disrespect to this actress, I think she played the part magnificently. Yes. She reminds me so much of freaking Cruella DeVille from the original 
like Dalmatians, the way her cadence happens, the like darling, like it was very much cool. Was, was it the coat was too? The first, like, you know what? I didn't even yeah. think, but that had to be a subconscious trigger yes. for me. Like poof. Yes. Um, you know, somewhere a Muppet died for that coat. <laughs> The 702 mark, we meet our new character, Dr. Vivian Capshaw, played by the amazing and talented and cough, cough, Oscar winning actress, mm -hmm. Miss Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, love her, have loved her for decades. She's amazing. I gotta be honest, even after the end of the episode, I still feel like there's some secret sketchiness going on with our Dr. Capshaw. Yeah. <laughs> We know too little about mm -hmm. her at this point to really, like, what is the thing with the whole butterscotch stuff that they are constantly referencing? Mm -hmm. You know, are they I don't know, but there? it's giving me the, like, Hunger Games Blood Rose vibes of, like, there's one thing that you always can't explain mm -hmm. and that she's, she's just got to, like, an odd affect to her that we're, like, yes. definitely picking up on, like, I don't know if it's just because maybe that position, like being a doctor in a prison requires her to, or, you know, you gotta be standoffish and not get close to them and, you know, keep them in line and whatnot, the, the inmates that are around. Like, but... I feel like maybe she requested him specifically yeah and i, I almost wonder feel like that vibe was there yeah i wonder if she did because at first when he comes in she says something like oh so this is the like you know Famous this is infamous yes this is like martin whitley or something and he's like oh it's doctor and she like is it has this simultaneous <laughs> like she's fascinated by him but she's also like i know like no. need to keep the yeah. six feet of distance between the two of us knows right, how much of a sure. narcissist he is and is just like yeah. And even given the promo coming up, you know, where there's seems to be like a kiss moment, but of course could be edited to screw yeah. with our brains. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought originally my like joke or maybe this is reality prediction was like, okay, maybe she's like one of those fangirls that, you know, like to love Bundy and are totally obsessed and want to, yeah. I don't know if that's mm. the thing, but I, I feel like she's sketchy. Like I she, feel she like- definitely. There's for sure some undertones or something going on there where I think she might help Martin do some dirty work or something. Yeah. Like that. Yep. Love her, loved how she portrayed it. At 8.35, we have a great line from Gil that is sometimes the most monstrous people are the ones hiding in plain sight. Yep. Um, well, I mean, neon sign, you know, like <laughs> you might as well be on the strip in Vegas with that in terms of arrows pointing and bright yep. lights um cough bright I love that lights <laughs> him, him 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 i love that both time bright's parents call him he immediately assumes they know and he's like Shit. What do you know? <laughs> what's, what's happening how do you know this oh what's going gosh. on Oh, and I absolutely love, and Britt and I totally nerded out about this on Discord with you guys, like the, the split screen editing yes. of yes. the phone so calls cool. between Jess and Ainsley and then Danny's there and Bright's here. Really cool editing I enjoyed with the music that played under it, which is just panic attack music because he's trying to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. First of all, Danny is so on to the fact that something sketchy Something's is happening. Stilling. She's watching him. 
Um, we have another instance of Ain- like a little bigger version of the theme for Ainsley pops in while she's talking on the phone, which looking back, we know is happening because it's all a farce. Yes. She's completely like, oh, let's see. I'm already home making him miserable. Oh, I'll tell him I'm leaving. And, and yeah. then I'll do this to yeah. make him even more miserable. He only has yeah. two ulcers. Let's shoot for three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and after that, we are on the street. And... I, I love so much about this scene between him and Danny on the street. Mm-hmm. One, because she, they are at the point in their friendship that she just straight calls him out. Like, you know, you really suck at pretending to have nothing wrong right now. Like, this mm-hmm. is really pathetic. Yeah. I just need you to talk to me. Um, I love that it had like the sweet partner, you can confide in me vibe going on. And you can see again, Tom's amazing performance of he wants so badly yeah. to just word vomit everything that's going mm-hmm. on to his, essentially his that's his best friend for sure yeah, yeah. um so he wants to just and and say every bit of it and he always has to rein himself in and it's getting more and more physically painful for him as he goes you can see it in his performance yeah. that it hurts yeah, yeah. he's torn and he doesn't mm-hmm. and the super difficult thing about this too is that you know even if he kind of wanted to tell her about it without telling her about it like if he wanted to like use like a whole bunch of euphemisms he really couldn't because Danny would definitely see through any of them absolutely and Mm -hmm. especially after my favorite line in this whole conversation is when Danny says like as someone who also was once lost like that was just like she is just hitting on that vulnerability with him and I'm sure that definitely broke his heart because he's she is referencing like one of her biggest secrets to him that he knows about her so far and yet he cannot tell her his biggest secret to her so far Mm -hmm. right now and that's just which is another thing first of all I love that callback like you said to the drug addiction because we're also about to mention that later Mm -hmm. so we need to bring that up a couple times to remind them Mm -hmm. like 40 episodes ago we talked about this one thing yes um but I also love that shit I just lost my train of thought (laughs) damn it Oh, Britt's getting a what gold mine tonight. I know. God bless her. Oh, well, she got the callback bite. We can move on. I have no idea what I was going to say. Um, so at the 11.33 mark, we have the quote that's keeping some Brightwell folks alive. <laughs> um, in this world, no one can feel good enough. And we're speaking about the world of plastic surgery. Um, even when they're as beautiful as you. first of all all, um i really love how tom speaks this sentence because there are multiple Mm -hmm. ways that you could emphasize words in this sentence that could completely change the feel Mm -hmm. of it like he does not emphasize the you when he speaks in fact the you is almost like cut off it's like the last word that trails off in a sentence And I love that because it really is him not realizing that he said this. Mm -hmm. Like it just comes out like even when they're beautiful as you. Like it's just, it's, I saw a tweet somewhere where someone's like, the the sky is blue, the grass is green, Danny's beautiful. Like it was just facts that he spit out. Um, And so it wasn't meant like as a direct come on, like, hey, as beautiful as you, you know, it it was just literally like, oh, you're beautiful. And even someone that beautiful couldn't feel, you know, secure Mm -hmm. here. Um, so I loved, and I'm sure that was something that both he thought of very much and was talked about deliberately because that can change a lot yep. how you say that sentence. Um, so I love that performance. 
Aurora melts my heart into a puddle of goop every time I watch her reaction. The smile, the flatter, the like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? It is cutest thing I've ever witnessed in the history of the world. It's it's a multiple, multifaceted reaction as well. Like three different things, one right after another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that after he said it, he pulls a reverse of what happens in the episode Death's Door. Um, he has walked and he thinks she's there. Like he looks yeah. for her directly next to him. And she's not, and he turns and he's like, what, where, where'd you go? What's going on? Danny does the same thing in death's door. When they enter that convention, like the death convention, essentially, Mm -hmm. she's talking, he's dealing with thinking, you know, he's potentially killed his father and she turns and he's not there and she has to find him. Like they are accustomed to assuming that that person will be right there. Um, And that doesn't have to be romantic. It can be, but that's just literally like, I'm with this person a lot. I know their habits and he should be there and she should be there. That's where they are. They're always right there. Um, Partners. And it's just, I know. Caroline's just melting in a puddle over there. so melting. And I love any type of comfort and like that level of intimacy on like a friendship base or like a companion base level is wonderful. Like you just, you're there. You're supposed to be there. You're my right hand guy. You know, you're, that's where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's like the softest part of it for me, like beyond like the whole being a Brightwell shipper, just Mm -hmm. it, it is a testament to the fact that they have bonded so well platonically that Mm -hmm. there is like not one without the other and I also love how the show is showing us this now where it's constantly like it's not as much as I love the Danny Bright JT like the trio I also love how they're showing the two of them together because they are partners they work very well together Mm -hmm. which is you know not to say that Bright and JT don't work well together because they do and they have a very interesting dynamic which I love to see (laughs) but Malcolm and Danny are partners and they pull that off very well and so I also love how the show is showing us that um and I did want to mention with this scene we did have a quote from Chris Fedak at the TCA uh panel that they did where he you know they're blatantly asked about the things that had occurred in in 206 and he says, speaking about Malcolm's like subconscious and how he's feeling about Danny, um, he says that there's something there percolating, which I love that use of percolating, love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> thinking about Danny in a relationship, even if he doesn't realize it. So yes. now that he has seen that um, and the level of intimacy that was there in his you know, kind of dream, if you will, it's something that once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And now maybe yeah. he's, you know, looking differently at her or realizing that that has kind of been there. All I keep thinking of in my head is Beauty and the Beast, the something there song. Like there may be something there that was oh <laughs> That's all I can think of is little teapots singing about, they know now they're seeing it. All I can think of is like what would Freud say to that? Like exactly oh, like boy. all the way back to the trip. It's like mm, this little Freudian slip here was very interesting. We're getting Indeed. lots of trip callbacks in this mm-hmm. one. So this was a, mm-hmm. was a nice episode for me. <laughs> so at 12.31, this was the first time that I noticed it. But it, when I went back, it was there the whole time. But I did not notice until we had good lighting at the Lexington Collective. Mm. Um, 
there is distinctive marks on Bright's yes. head for the entire episode, which is a callback to the fact that he fell. And this is like a day, maybe two afterwards, mm-hmm. the way that this works, the way that the phone call happened when he was with Ainsley, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was nice. Like he has like this huge mark, like a red mark on his face um, as a reference to look like we are actually following a linear timeline and it has not been that long. So he has marks, which I can sometimes, you know, it's a new episode. We just forget it happened. And look, okay. he's a handsome yeah. fella, no big deal. <laughs> but it, it was nice to, to track that and be like, it has not been that long. And yeah. since we didn't really get accurate aftercare for that whole situation, yeah, no, the exactly. least they could do is give us a bump on the head later. Yes. And, yeah. you know. It's nice Continuity. that they showed us that like bruises, you know, stay on any surface of your body for a little while now what they need to do is for the next episode they need to have them be yellow but mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if we're gonna go that far no i don't think so <laughs> we're lucky we got Wishful this thinking. be truthful <laughs> at thirteen twenty, i really kind of appreciated this line that comes from the character summer where she's talking about dr donahue and she says you know he's always checking up on me if you know what i mean and danny's response is unfortunately i do Mm-hmm. which every female that watches this show went yep because uh-huh. at some point pretty much everyone has experienced that little extra attention from someone in the field that they aren't requesting or <laughs> think they need to for lack of a better term you know measure their dick in front of everybody to be like listen this is look at how great i am and you're a handsome and good looking lady blah 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 like it just and I love that I'm sure Aurora was like, yeah, like she got to deliver that line of like, yep, you mm-hmm. know what that's like, just because we're bringing up those things now. Thank God. Like it is something yeah. that occurs. Let's talk about it. And let's let our badass female leads be like, yeah, that's some bullshit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I was like, yes, it was like 10 seconds and I didn't care because it was amazing. Yes. Which then immediately leads into the alpha males moment that oh my God. <laughs> God. Just the fact that Malcolm. Okay, listen, listen. I am in. Lou Diamond Phillips is a good-looking fella, and and to be older than me, he's he's a good-looking fella. I'm okay with that. But that glare from Gil, Ooh. like I full-on had a moment. He was standing there, glare. I was like, okay, I see you. Such and a I also I love just Frank's love- growl voice when he does the yes. bad cop. Yes. He always has like, come on, man. And he like yeah. gets, I'm like, yeah, get him, Frank, get him. <laughs> yep. He does, he does alpha cop very well. He does it very, does it very well. well. And not mm-hmm. like necessarily comically, because you can get to like yeah. a 21 jump street level yes. of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it does it like he doesn't take it to a level or that's like abusive and like, okay, calm down, killer. You're breaking the laws there or anything mm-hmm. like that. But he yeah. very much kind of throws his weight around in a way that is believable. Mm-hmm. and not like i'm gonna be a jerk cop and go way overboard with yes. this persona that i'm trying you know to get Absolutely. to get information out of someone so i'm not gonna coerce a false confession out of you yes yes perfect right, balance. just by screaming and smacking a table gr- and yeah. threatening yeah. to like mm-hmm. throw them to the ground or something right? not yeah. overdone yeah it's more just like come on man stop being a dick and just yeah. Fess right up. For real, tell us the stuff you know. (laughs) Okay, so if I had a soapbox, I would get it out. Because I'm going to get on it for about three minutes. This is my deep dive today. All right. Okay, so in my my notes, I literally wrote Adresa. 
and then under it i wrote angie's right <laughs> well i appreciate your your backup i appreciate it so here's my soapbox first of all i again want to say that while i do not romantically ship Adresa with Malcolm. I love them together. They are the mm -hmm. cutest nerd duo ever. Yes. I love and respect Keiko. She's a beast. And I love yes. the character Adresa. Mm -hmm. I love that we have given, you know, a woman of color this powerful position because she's a freaking chief medical examiner in New York City. Bad ass mm -hmm. bitch. Mm -hmm. That's a common um, position. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I am not one of the people that like, because I ship Brightwell, I'm hating on, you know, Adresa, hating on Keiko. She should never be in a scene with Malcolm. No, absolutely not. That's not what my jam is. Um, but I stop degrading our badass Asian female character yes. with this behavior. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Like, okay, cool. She's a little socially awkward. That's fine. Like she doesn't have to be like little Susie, you know, sex kitten and doing all that. Like it's totally cool to be the nerd, you know, nerd cute girl, go for it. That's sweet. But like, this is taking it to a level to where her character, if you look back the past three to four episodes, mm -hmm. she had one really cool moment where she helped him figure out the case with the mm -hmm. etiquette school. But every other scene she's in is literally meant as pathetic, obsessive comic relief. Yeah. And she is better than that. I don't yeah. want that for her character. She can you know, she can be in love with Malcolm. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Like that doesn't bother me. I, I get it. Me too. Like it, it's okay. <laughs> but like, I just, they're making it for me where if the Maldresa ship ever happened, it's almost like watching like an obsessive teenager then date their idol. Yeah. And it's like, that's not healthy. That's no. not a good situation. That's not. And again, I'm not looking at this from like, a, oh, she can't be with him. Like, okay, cool. If Maldresa is endgame, at least make it believable and make her respectable mm -hmm. in that position. She's a badass. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like Keiko's totally cool with it and she loves the humor of it and it's great. But I feel like we're kind of underusing a very talented actress. And I know that her niche is comedy. Like she's an improv gal and all that, but like, she wasn't like this, even by the end of season one, where we yeah. knew she was hardcore head over heels for Malcolm. She was not acting this way. Yeah. Um, and I just don't want to detract. Like, how about we have scenes with her where she's telling us shit about the crime scene or figuring out something that she found in an autopsy or, you know, having those nerd moments of, did you know that, you know, this guillotine wood was from blah, blah, blah. Like, let's give her the intellectual moments again, yeah. instead of like yes. the puppy dog fawning over something i just i feel like she's better than that yeah. if yeah. she wants to be in love with malcolm cool and if maldrice is in game whatever like that's but at least make it to where she's on the same level with him and it's less of an idol and obsessive and an equals mm -hmm. because right now it's not like she is just yeah. like like it's borderline she has a shrine to him in her closet yeah. kind of thing that you would see and i don't I don't want that for her. She's better no. than that in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and, and so box over. <laughs> do, do right by Keiko. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. Just do yeah. right by Keiko. Yeah. Yeah. And like you've said, Jess, they're not teenagers. They're this not is teenagers, not sir. like some campy teenage romance. Like, <laughs> come on. They're adult professionals. Yeah. And you can tell that Malcolm's not like super into it either. Like he is respectful as hell, but he's also yeah. like, you know, She's a medical yeah. examiner. Damn and there's, I mean, there's been a lot of talk on the internet, like, okay, if you reverse these gender roles, 
I'm a little bit back and forth on on that. Like, I do think that if this was a male character doing it, there would be this huge, like, oh, this poor guy. Yeah. She's putting him yeah. on, blah, blah, blah. Like, I do think that there's a distinctive gender yeah, reversal true. there where it, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, again, we have a cast that is so diverse and we have women in these powerful roles. And I'm just, can we please not reduce them to a love Yeah, set? don't reduce them. Like, I mean, thankfully they're not doing that with Danny. They're allowing her to kind of carry herself and and be, but let's let Keiko do it too. Mm-hmm. Let's let, you know, Jess yeah. is doing it. Ainsley's doing it, even though it's the wrong way. <laughs> she's, she's still, she still gets to be this powerful, you know, independent, I'm going to be me. Like, don't, don't make the strong Asian actress like this funny sidekick. Like, yeah. Let's make her on the level with everybody else. Exactly. Even Dr. Capshaw, who we like know nothing about, like yeah. is already holding her own compared to Adresa. Like, come on. I know. And Adresa's our gal. Like, Team Adresa, yes. let's go. Like, let's yes. let's give our gal some stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so Saltbox over. That's I I I love the character. I am not like some of the other people that decide, okay, well, I'm on this ship, so I'm just gonna shoot everybody else out of the water. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm just like, she she deserves better. She had moments in the first season too where she was kicking A and taking names and yes. like let's which apparently we get an opportunity soon, she said in that interview. So I'm yes. I'm yes. hoping that this so Adresa centric episode helps write that ship a little bit mm-hmm. of like see, she is a professional with lots of degrees and an amazing, you know, mm-hmm. brain. She did look kind of cute in that dress, so I'm not gonna lie. She looked adorable. She was adorable. Yes. She was adorable AF. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. Mm-hmm. And props to the boots with the psycho heels. I would die in and break my ankles. <laughs> Good for you. Well Same done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At 1739, I wrote, "Where do I sign up for the Danny Kicking Down Doors fan club? Is the oh, office my- of president still available?" My God. I'm feeling a heard regarding this. Can I be the vice president of the backup club with the hand on? <laughs> oh my yeah, somewhere Brit's editing this going, bitch, I'm the president. Back up. Kill you. <laughs> She's like, fuck off. You are the VP and you know it. She was like, I claimed that the minute it happened. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was a funny outburst in Discord from all of us at that moment. That was priceless. Love, anytime we can get like a female cop in there doing that same stuff, which uh, here's what I appreciate too. So like- JT's busting down doors that are locked and whatever. And that makes sense for his shape, his body type. He can, I love that they still let her do that, but it was after the door was open. Yes. So it like, honestly, it was believable. Cause yeah. I don't know that given Danny's size, she's going to bust through a deadbolt. Yeah. But and she can still do it. So I love that they left the door open and then she's like, bam. And yeah. she went for it. So it was believable. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the nice thing about the, the, cool thing about it is the way they did it it was like kind of like a a mechanism that works he shut the door and then she knocked on it again and somehow the guy opened it and so his momentum of opening the door also assisted her in just full-on knocking him out Mm -hmm. it It definitely works that way yeah oh and and speaking of that scene right before they get to opening the door so the guy opens the door and pokes his head out covered in blood and rambles something in German and Malcolm doesn't even flinch at that. He goes, yeah, he goes, oh, German. Sounds like German. German. And Danny was like, 
excuse me all i saw was blood so yep. that was just really funny you can look at it in you know various ways especially i also would like to know oh i'm sorry to interrupt you go ahead no that's okay apology. especially um going back to saying how he said that um danny was beautiful and it was just stated you know as a fact conscious mm -hmm. flow of thought his brain was focusing on the most confusing thing in that scene because he's used to blood and they were expecting blood. But the most confusing thing in that scene and thing that like stood out of place was that the dude wasn't speaking sure. English to them and that caught his attention. So I just thought that was a really fun, like really funny dichotomy to put in there for lines. Like, like you paid attention to what was coming out of his mouth instead of what was all over him. <laughs> this is where I want to sort of point out my neurodivergent t-shirt. Yes, yes, and, and I was like, trying to get to that, but I knew I wouldn't have said it in the right words, and so. No, 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 because that was, that was exactly what I, I focused on, too. I, like, thought that I didn't hear what he had said, so all I was focused on, like, I noticed the blood, but I was still just like, wait, what did he say? And then Danny's like, we have no time for this. Like, there's blood on this dude's face mask, and I was like, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that's a perfect example of that. How is this same dude consistently at the door 10 seconds after they knock when clearly the entire operation setup was like up a flight of stairs around the corner? Like he was there and also they knocked. They would never have heard that. Was he like using the restroom, getting a drink? What was yeah, he I doing don't, don't that know. he was right by the door? But also, Pardon, this is where I go. So you guys fun. are doing the logical thing, like the blood. Malcolm's doing the, oh, hey, it's German. And I went, how did he answer the door so fast? <laughs> He's got logistics. <laughs> no, he probably went to pee and then he opened the door and then he went to shut it. And as he went to shut it, he was like, wait, are those cops? And then it's too late. Danny kicked the door down. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we've come too far. We've come yep. too far. Love it. So I do want to say when we meet this Francine character, I, I was impressed because I was unsure how far they were going to go with just the obsessive plastic surgery thing. And I think they went like a nice route to not make it this like circus sideshow thing because it really is an issue where people get addicted to this ideal of mm -hmm. perfection. Yeah. And instead of just making it look how hideous, you know, like it was clearly too much and it was clearly mm -hmm. like, whoa, but it wasn't so over the top that it was like distracting from the actresses scenes or things where mm -hmm. you you know you can still feel for the character and not be like whoa geez look at that disfigured person um so props to makeup i'm sure there were like a lot of discussions there about how far is too far the makeup yeah. department did a great job because i looked up that actress oh looks nothing like oh. what you see like wow. from what i can tell everything from the eyebrows down is prosthetic on top huh. of her face that's like wow. cheekbone cheekbones are much higher the chin is out further the lips obviously um and you can there was one little part where she's sitting there talking to them and you can kind of see the crease in the prosthetic uh, yeah real quick like <laughs> for just a minute but i was but it was so well done like it was it was very much a, a believable thing yeah. yeah no i agree it was nice to see that they sort of like called attention to it without making her look like a freak show because exactly. that is because yes. that's not meant to be funny exactly it's be yeah. like look at this as a serious thing like yes. this is an actual yeah. addiction that yeah people yeah have. which was Body. a nice kind of converse to the to the jerry issues we had in the past where it yes. was about humor and haha he, he look at this guy yes exactly um, yeah it yeah, wasn't was like nice she thing. wasn't she wasn't the butt of the joke anymore like 
body dysmorphia is as malcolm points out it's a real thing that people experience so it was nice to not have her be this over exaggeration that people can mock right yeah all right so it is time for our fan profile of the week and we have another live guest with us we have liz <laughs> i love that we all did this and that was completely unscripted two on cue with no script that was great it makes me very happy. What so, we need is a secret Liz? handshake, you know, like a <laughs> yes, some, and and some... some way to do that over Zoom. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. and I wish there was a way to know how everyone's Zoom screen looked, so you could pull like the Brady yes, bunch. Like, yep, yep. Know, everybody's like, looking <laughs> one way and <laughs> up and down, but it's never the same per person, which is frustrating. I got to experience uh, <laughs> a gra uh, my master's graduation via Zoom. Yep, me too. Cool. Me too, Liz. Yes, yep. congrats. Yeah, you too. <laughs> she said making an epic drink of wine. I was drunk for the entire duration of it. Yes. So um, first of all, let's introduce yourself to the fandom. Who are you? How did you become part of the fandom? Let's go. Okay. Um, so I'm Liz Rector and on Twitter, I'm Lavender Lizards. Uh, which is hilarious because my brain likes to forget how to spell lavender, which is really sad because I used to be an English teacher. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's sad. Um, and I live in Colorado and um, I have an awesome cat and a dog and I make a bunch of fan art for Prodigal Son and uh, I write fanfic for it as well. Mm -hmm. and and you know don't come after me with pitchforks but i do have a tendency to struggle with finishing things a little bit Same. So, <laughs> yeah. so i'll wake up to the occasional angry comment like where is the update i hate you and i'm like oh i'm so sorry <laughs> um and let's see how did i get into the fandom uh i like caught the first episode when it aired and was pretty much like hooked from the beginning um and started reading fanfic and uh you know found other piece of, <laughs> I'm, i just say peace on but prodigal son people mm -hmm. um and kind of dove right into the twitter uh community and i've made like a million memes and fan art since yeah. then so yeah and yeah. for this we are grateful mm -hmm. very 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 <laughs> Yay. I certainly enjoy those morning after memes or the night of memes after the episode. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. I reached a new desperation like when I found myself like making a meme as the episode was happening and I was like, whoa, you need to slow down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've, done that. Times. I've done that a couple times. I feel you on a like cellular level. <laughs> right. And um, so when lockdown started, I kind of got into digital art. So I had uh, prior to last March, I'd never done digital art, but I've been an artist for like 20 years. So I was like, I can translate, you know, the physical art that I've done into doing digital art. So I started doing that um, and it was rough going at first, uh, mm -hmm. but it got better. But it's funny because my family is like, I swear to God, Liz, if you draw these characters one more time and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to keep drawing them, but there's nothing you can do. So my answer to them is that they can learn how to draw and then they can draw whatever they want. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of art, not that I stalk your social media pages by any means, but um, you had an art show recently. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, so I live like south of Denver. So there's not like a whole lot happening where I live. Um, but I go to this uh, ceramics place called Arts on Fire and I make a ton of ceramics. I did a bunch of ceramics in Houston and I was in their like ceramic shows and stuff. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time doing that. And the owner was like, hey, you do have a bunch of great stuff. Like I could put you and a couple of artists together and we can, you know, sell some of your stuff. So that went really well. It's good. Um, it's tough, like selling art, like trying to figure out how to price things and like how to send things to people. Like I made this really big canvas piece and it was like gorgeous. And by the time I shipped it to the person, I lost $20. So yeah, you live That's and learn. Rough. Yeah. So did you start writing in the fandom before you started doing art or was it vice versa? Good question. Yes. So it's been, it's been an interesting, uh, I'll just like sit down and, and start writing something. And it's interesting, like right before I go to sleep, I try and like formulate the like the next chapter to a story. So if I've written a story and I'm kind of at a stumbling block, I'll like read the chapters I've done and then I'll just kind of like let it stew and sit on it for a while. And it may take like a month to come up with the next chapter. So yeah, but kind of <laughs> at the same time, I guess. Um, the first thing I really got into writing a lot for was Smallville and hmm. I've written like 500,000 words of fan fiction. So <sighs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I probably should have finished my novel at some point. That would be productive but yeah fan fiction is more fun so. mm -hmm. fan fiction is so much more <laughs> alluring and it just they do so much of the work for you that it's very easy to like pick yes. up on yes. like the writing habit is so much easier once the characters and the setting for the most part is already established and then you're just like whoop like i'm gonna keep going yes it's so nice that there's an established readership too yes yes like you're gonna get feedback at some point very at quickly point. compared to just trying to throw your own novel out there and gain readers. Definitely. Yes. And uh, to try and like learn more, like my, my undergrad is in uh, advertising and like I was a copywriter for five years and I was like a teacher for five years. Um, and my master's degree is in publishing. So now mm -hmm. I know all the secrets. <laughs> yes. Which is funny because one of my professors is like, that's not good. We don't want you to know how the meat is made. And I was like, too late. I'm here. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. I just had like a Hamilton moment in my head. I couldn't help it. Mm -hmm. I was like doing the room where it happens in my head. Like, uh, yep. um, <laughs> so it's really interesting that you said that thing about like when you're trying to go to sleep or something that you, you think that's something that I have kind of done for a really long time just to try to go to sleep. Like that's mm -hmm. my version of counting sheep is yeah. let me think of a story and let me see what I can do. And then like so many days later, I've carried it on. And then eventually I just started writing stuff down or I have really creepy dreams, but that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> and I do the that same thing, weird. but then I never write it. <laughs> so good for you for writing it. <laughs> it never translates into my dreams either, which is such a bummer. Like all of my dreams are such throwaways. I'm like, why can't I ever dream about like anything useful? I don't, I don't know, whatever. Uh, same here, same here. Meanwhile, I'm writing this like horrifically wumpy chapter and I literally dreamed what I wrote last night. Angie's dreams are quite interesting. Shush up, Angela. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fun to drop. It's fun to drop in a Discord in the morning and find that every day. <laughs> You're not going to guess what I dreamed. It was crazy. <laughs>
I'm, I'm jealous. Mentioned... I want like a free trial into your dreams. Dude, okay, <laughs> my, my brain is a terrifying escape. Let me, there's a whole I mean, lot of crazy mine, going on so... up there. I feel like every writer's and artist is to some extent. So creative people have very yeah. vivid imaginations and thus yeah. very overactive brains at night, I think. Okay, when I do Agreed. have a dream and can remember it, which is not very often. Yeah, I have no idea why I dream what I dream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't help also that my mom has her master's in psychology. So I'm like, I dreamt this. And she's like, let's take that apart. And I'm like, no, no, no. What would no, Freud say to that? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's interesting. I lead an interesting life. So I'm an only child. So there's a lot of focus on me. And that's probably also why I got into art because, you know, when you're alone a lot, like you read a lot, you play Xbox, you do things that you can do by yourself. So, yeah. My child's future. <laughs> he ain't getting the sibling. <laughs> the previous discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Smallville. Um, are there any other fandoms that you've been kind of involved in or have written for or done art for? Yeah, um, Good Omens uh, is another big one. I've got my, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but I've got my, my Good Omens shirt. <laughs> I've made some like custom shoes for it, which are too nice to wear anywhere. Um, and yeah, uh, mostly like just Superman and Good Omens and Prodigal Son. And I do a lot of commissions. So like people come to me and they're like, hey, draw my dog, cat, my family, things like that. So that keeps me pretty busy. And then I just have like a million sketchbooks that I just do other sketches in. And a lot like people don't even see them. I don't even put them anywhere. So, you know, if there's a time when people are like, you're not doing anything, like I, I am, but it's just for me probably, so. Yeah. And you don't have to answer to anyone anyway. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's true. That's super. <laughs> but important. I have that personality where like someone's like tap tap and I'm like, oh my God, like can I help? Like what did I do? You know? So understandable. Not healthy. Caroline and I had this discussion just a couple days ago from like a writer's perspective of it's such a blessing. God bless everyone that like kudos and comments on anything that people write because you all are angels. But sometimes she, I think it was her phrase where she said, sometimes it just feels like you're screaming into a void and no one cares. And it's like, well, good thing I wrote that because no one read it, you know? So it's, God bless right. those people. That's they're, they're angels. I always write to like the things that I really want to read. Like I do it 98% for me and maybe like 2% for like <laughs> everybody else. But. Yeah. Yeah. I just call it selfish, well-deserved content for mm -hmm. myself. And mm -hmm. I just happen to post it. Another, if other people like it, fine. If not, Too fine. <laughs> exactly. Like if I want a Malcolm sandwich with Danny on one end and JT on the other, then I'm going to write that, you know, just for me, just for me. We are here so. for the content. We are here for the content. <laughs> Sorry, did I make it awkward? Uh, I should probably. No. <laughs> okay, first of all, there is no awkward on CSA. Like we, okay. if it's going to get said, it's getting said. <laughs> yeah, this is a no shame zone. No. <laughs> uh, I really love the show because, you know, I can relate to Malcolm and I've met other people who are in sort of a similar, you know, I mean, everyone's experience is completely different, um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of rough to deal with that. And it's, it's interesting to see it like on a larger scale, see it on TV. And of course there are things that, you know, don't really match up with real life, like as any show. Um, but like um, in my 
experience, I don't even know where to start, I guess, but um, I have anxiety and depression and, and PTSD and it's just really rough. And sometimes some of the things that like people say are just like really off. Like I had someone one time say to me, like, what happened to you that could have been that traumatic? And like, that's not the way to, <laughs> to open yeah, up. That's really a can of worms to say to any random <laughs> person. <laughs> it is. And um, so I just really appreciate the show for like showing that side. You know, it shows like the way Malcolm copes with things. Like he takes medication, he does yoga, he has sunshine. Um, but he also has a lot of the, the other things that other people struggle with, like self-destructive tendencies and, you know, obsessing or like when you have something that you need that much, like he needs a case, like I need art, it can become really dangerous. So you become really reliant on that. And if for whatever reason, that's not in your life anymore, you can really like fall apart. And it was interesting with COVID. I was like, how are they going to handle that? Like, because in real life, you know, it's disrupted all our lives. It's made anxious people way more anxious. And um, so it's, I mean, they've sort of touched on that. I mean, you could, but it's like, it's a whole can of worms. You could go way down that road and make the whole thing, you know, about that, which you don't want to do. So in all these interactions with Malcolm and Danny, you know, you see, he wants to like say something, he wants to like let her in and you can't let her in because obvious reasons. Um, and then it puts you in this sort of isolated state. And that's one of the things I relate to the most with the show is like, I feel really isolated. So anytime isolation's an issue, whether it's with <laughs> Martin like being locked up or if it's with Malcolm and what he's dealing with, I can really relate to that because my anxiety got to the point where I like stopped driving on my own. And so like when someone's with me in the car, I'm fine. Uh, but just on my own, for some reason, I've had a lot of issues with that. Um, and I, I can't take the Medicaid. Like everyone, like when you tell them these things, people are like, great, do this and this and this. And my body can't break down the medications, like can't break down SSRIs. So I have a lot of options that aren't available, I guess to me and I've experienced anxiety in these different ways like in the workplace and it's great to see like Malcolm's team is like there for him and they're supportive and sometimes they give him like the weird eyeball <laughs> but sometimes in real life you know it's not so smooth like your coworkers are just kind of like what you know and if you try to explain why you're anxious about something they're just they don't get it and it's yeah, so it's there's a lot of vulnerability in dealing with those things. I probably talked way too long. <laughs> first of all, no, there is no rule, so you're fine. <laughs> um, but it really is something like if you don't experience that, like we don't need kind of you know armchair quarterbacks telling you yeah. how. Well, here's what you need to do. Like, how about no? How about you stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine and handle my own business. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I mean, and all the stuff that's happening in the show, like with Ainsley is like super traumatic and it's just adding trauma onto his trauma. And it's interesting because I went on a date the other day, which was, that was interesting. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was kind of joking with my date that like, you've like kind of amassed trauma and then you go to therapy and then you amass more trauma and you go to therapy again, you know, it's like, or you just stay in it the whole time. Um, and he, this guy that I went on the state with, like, does not get it, has never been anxious, like a day in his life. And so I, he was like, what is it like? Like, can you explain it to me? 
And I was like, okay, what are you like terrified of? And he was like, spiders, like dead serious, terrified of spiders. I was like, okay, well, this anxiety isn't just like kind of a worry or like a nervous, like when you have PTSD, it's like the spiders in you and you can't get away from it. You can't like separate from it. So, and he was like, oh shoot. And I was like, yeah, I probably ruined the state. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy though. Like it, it is, really yeah. that's such a great way to represent that. Like it's not even like, oh, you're in a room full of spiders. It's the spider is inside and you cannot yeah. get out of it. Yeah. That's a great analogy. What is interesting about anxiety is I think it makes you extremely empathetic, extremely attuned to how other people are feeling about things, <sighs> dealing with things. I mean, some of the strongest people are the people who have suffered from like depression, anxiety, these because they have to like struggle every day just to like meet the, the bar, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah. there is no normal as my therapist likes to say. <laughs> there isn't. And that's another thing that I really like that the show represents is that, you know, society has all these different ideas, especially with mental health, like men don't need to go to therapy or, you know, like men don't, ex you know, you don't experience PTSD unless you were in a war or in a concentration right. camp or something. And this is an example where the trauma that he went through wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't war. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't people's standard definition of what would cause trauma, but it was traumatic to him. And then he needs to go to therapy for it. And he deals with it in however many ways that he does. And that's just, it's just one more thing that I feel like people, everybody jumps to a connection with the show and with to Malcolm for a bunch of different reasons. And that's okay because it's always going to look different. And I'm glad that we have this different perspective. And even beyond Malcolm, all the other characters who have trauma. Uh, the light probably is just best shown on my uh, Twitter because that has the link to my website. And mm -hmm. I do have a prodigal son coloring book which uh, is awesome. It's like 40 pages. Which we give out in our swag giveaways because yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm working on a second one and I'm also working on a mental health workbook. Um, so that's really exciting. And yeah, if you just go to my Twitter at Lavender Lizards, that's great. And I also have an Instagram and that is at Liz Rect. So it's just L-I-Z-R-E-C-T. So yeah, Wonderful. I guess there's another Liz Rector out there who already took the OR. So there's always somebody. There's yeah. always somebody. As long as they're, <laughs> you know, nice. Let's, let's go. <laughs> um, so speaking of upcoming art and things, you are hooking us up with a giveaway. So why don't you tell our listeners what exactly that entails? Yeah. So um, as you know, I've made way too much art. So <laughs> you can, you can uh, view all of my art. Uh, it's also on Pinterest. Um, and the winner can look, sift through all my art and find the piece that they like the best. And I will uh, get a print done for, for them and send it their way, uh, an eight and a half by 11 print. It's on kind of like a glossy, little bit thicker cardstock. And yeah, just, it can be, you know, some line art. It can be some colored art, just anything that I've worked on. I recently finished Sunshine. So that was a nice, happy commission to do <laughs> after doing like Malcolm and Martin, like splitting apart gruesomely. So it was great to flipper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. 
I am also drawing this piece right now. I guess you get the exclusive. It's like Martin's head, but it's like upside down. And there's like bars, like it's a prison and there's a cage and Malcolm's in, in it. So. Loving that exclusive. Thank you very yeah. much. Well, <laughs> you heard it here first. And That's I'm right. also, of course, drawing the uh, Danny and Malcolm kiss. So. Right, well, get <laughs> <laughs> I'm watercoloring it so I've got it all drawn out and now I just need to watercolor it I'm really excited I've also thought about doing like a digital take on it as well so that's yeah yeah bless you artist bless you <laughs> you Yay. keep us alive during six week hiatus <laughs> oh my gosh that is a long time that's she when the episode openly. ended oh I was like ready to cry I was like well, listen, thank you so much for coming on, Liz. We appreciate you so much. You are a yes. blessing to the fandom. Keep Aww. doing you. you and um, come back anytime. We're always Yay. here to, to chill out and laugh. And thank you so very much. Thank you thank for having you. me. Yes, thank awesome. you. I love you. <laughs> Bye, Liz. Bye. So let's talk about diagnosing some headaches. I, I have, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen someone go through this. You guys have a little bit more of a medical background than I do. Um, a little bit more bite, a little bit more, I mean, completely. Uh, <laughs> I, how do you feel about the, the performance of the extra there, the, the guest actor? Do we feel that that's a really logical performance for that? Hold on, I'm really confused. What are we talking the, about? The guy that, the, so the guy that eventually so, gets drilled in the yeah. head. The, we the guy first who's see you know, him. sitting there with the yeah. drop and, and Martin is starting to diagnose that like before he passes out. And then later they do the drilling. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've never been in that scenario. I'm not in medical field. I should ask Carrie. Um, but like- and She's going to watch it, this and be like- I know, she's going to watch and be like, freaking Ange, I was here the whole time. You didn't ask me about inhalers. You didn't. Yeah, I didn't ask you about the deep breather. <laughs> is that really like the kind of just consistent, like, mm, go, tell me, please, I'm ready. Um, so there is a quote unquote medical, non-medical term that we use called um, worst headache of your life, which is written in documentation as W-H of Y. Y-L, got you. Took me a minute. I love yeah. that that's a thing. No, it is. Yeah, in a I medical abbreviation for a lot of people who have strokes or brain aneurysms or um, in this guy's case, a subdermal hematoma, um, we you would see on documentation. Like that's one of the first things that I look for is worst headache of your life. Wow. And for some people, it literally manifests as like you're holding your head and you're like groaning and growling and stuff. And you present to the emergency room like that. And that's when people are like, get this guy like, you know, get him into CT the and... get a CT, get an MRI. Like th there is no time for this. Uh, um, and that was also sort of one of the things about eventually further down the line. I was like, this is New York city. There's not a helicopter pad on the top of this. Like this guy would be med flighted to a hospital. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were very much like, oh, well the ambulance is 10 minutes out. You can't tell me it took less than 10 minutes to go upstairs, get the ultrasound, find the drill, sterilize if you bothered giving everything <laughs> yeah, else. We'll yeah, get to point, that later. We'll get to that. Um, yeah. I'm like, I've, hmm, 
It's yeah. just Swiss cheese. This whole plot is Swiss cheese. <laughs> There's yeah. a I lot mean, of holes. It depends on everybody's it. like t- pain tolerance level and stuff like that. But you will sometimes see people who are like literally holding their heads and like groaning and grumbling and presenting as all of these different exactly like it went on tv so I, i'm not around enough to know so i was like well either this dude is like very authentic or it's really overacted there's like no middle ground to this performance so maybe yeah. it, it very well could yeah. have been. no offense yeah. dude, you did a fine job at 2207 we are in the conference room and i noticed not one time in this episode when we're in the conference room are the lights on yeah which I, I, it was, the thing is, it was just kind of like a stylistic choice. It wasn't pitch black, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty average for, you know, the lighting and a prodigal sun scene. <laughs> but what I noticed behind it, and I don't know if this was like a Lou Diamond Phillips thing or whatever, for the first time that we have um, police car lights in the background yeah. in the window. Mm-hmm. So that that's the first time that, first of all, it's been kind of dark frequently in the conference room which fits with the you know the things going on in bright's life and this and that and the other symbolically but it's such a tiny little detail but we had flashing lights in the background and i was like cool. for once they're like oh look police things happen outside <laughs> like it was such a tiny thing that you wouldn't think about but i noticed it and i'm like dude we've never seen that before mm. they added some cool color you know yeah. like cool hue and everything and i just it was nice it which is good. cool because we know that if I'm thinking of it, if I'm thinking of the right one, like from seeing pictures, behind the scenes pictures from season one and Lou saying some things like that's, it looks real, obviously. Looks like you're looking outside, but that's a fake wall and the window is, yeah. you know, light and yeah. Oh, yeah. film. So, so that was, so yeah. So, yeah, so that, that is a fake. So they literally had to put like a tiny little flashing thing there to look like a car <laughs> outside and down a level. Like the amount cool. of effort it took. Um, and there were things that I didn't get to talk about in the last episode too that were like anytime Malcolm was having issues in that elevator scene, like the lights were flickering one by one down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Like there were all these things, like our lighting department does some cool shit. Yeah, yeah. Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it actually made me think of that I just realized this now is that way back when um, Malcolm's talking to Ainsley on the phone, she's staring out the window and talking about all the, she's seeing police lights and she's hearing sirens and mm-hmm. Malcolm's like, this is New York City, you see that all the time. And yet Very here cool. we see him again, you know, in the conference room looking out the window at the police lights and he's obviously thinking about Ainsley. Mm-hmm. And seeing all those lights and everything, and you know that he's he's miles away. Oh yeah. So I like For that sure. little connection. Agreed. At twenty four twenty seven, quite possibly the humorous line of the episode is Martin's put it on my tab. Oh my. Oh, oh my. Goodness. Like only Martin Whitley can talk about someone's life as though he was ordering a Cosmo at a bar. Like. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads us to all sorts of operations and things that y'all can talk about because oh, the boy. minute i saw the drill hit the back of the head i tapped out i went nope oh, no, no. nope out okay i have had like wanted to rant about this since we saw the promo photos because i'm sorry what <laughs> yeah, we're doing true. improvised medicine here okay so i get it we're doing improvised medicine that i've seen in multiple medical dramas especially like the resident and house it happens constantly but who let them do this without his voice, his head in a vice, sorry, because 
I know he's is he like is he completely unconscious at that point or is he just a little out I of guess. it? They gave like, him diazepam to they did give him something. Him, but, okay, so like yeah. he's relaxed, but like regardless, you never know what's gonna happen. And if you're dealing with someone's brain and skull, usually you lock it into a vice. So it do you want to tell them what a vice is though? So that oh our, yeah. yeah. Um. So essentially, it's like this cage around someone's head, and mm. there's multiple contact points i know two are in the head and usually two are on the forehead and like some near the jaw maybe um and it's essentially it screws into your head so that your head doesn't move they weren't wearing masks yeah martin wasn't even wearing eye protection and i stopped and rewound really quick i was like is she even wearing gloves yes she was but she wasn't wearing a mask and i'm sorry COVID aside you wear masks when you open anything on a person's body (laughs) for multiple reasons we did see that before uh we saw that in another episode where i believe it was the professionals malcolm and vijay ended up in the surgical suite during a brain operation and they're not wearing masks (laughs) nope they did wear the head caps though, which I was very head, surprised they head by. Caps and the yeah, gowns. We didn't want to get the hair in there. We did that to Malcolm to Tom's hair, really? Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. <laughs> At twenty-eight, twenty-five, I just God damn it, Siri. Sorry. <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, my Siri's like, yes. I'm like, I'm not Say Siri. It sounded like that whatsoever. Yeah. At 28-25, I had to do <laughs> use Bon Jovi voice, and then I was like, shot through the heart. <laughs> I, had, I had to. It made me so happy. Um, so first of all, before we get into what I know you have, um, like some logistics about the stuff, the shots, like camera-wise, in this scene where Danny and Malcolm are trying to, to save, it, they are gorgeous. By far, camera-wise, my favorite scene of this entire episode, um, particularly one of my favorite shots I think I've ever seen on the entire show is they do like this, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know what the camera's on, but they follow Malcolm as he knee slides under the table and the camera mm-hmm. is like right there with him. It's a really cool angle. I'm sure it was a pita to shoot because you're trying to get under a table, this and that. Malcolm turns and is yelling for Danny and you get this really cool low angle shot, which stereotypically is used for a hero. Cause when Mm -hmm. you, when you film them from low, they look tall, they look big and imposing and bless him. Tom's not usually like that. So (laughs) (laughs) I say this with all the love in the world for our lead, but he doesn't always get those moments. Um, Later when he's talking about like what could reverse it, what's the antidote, they shoot him from that same angle. Like it's very low looking up to give him the like, I'm the, the hero of the moment, I'm in control. Um, but it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. The, the way they film it, I love it. Mm-hmm. I also love Tom's little behind the scenes um, thing that he talked about. I can't remember. Oh, it's TV Insider, I wrote it. It was a TV Insider interview and he 
gave us a little behind the scenes clue about how they actually had to slide him a beaker that was half full of water or whatever Mm -hmm. because he's like ivs are incredible or iv bags are incredibly hard to actually squeeze out of so all in my head i could picture was just like three or four outtakes of him going (laughs) and then aurora just busts the gut laughing like i can't be serious with this what's happening yeah i would love to know if like i know those 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 iv bags are probably pretty durable but like if like they squeezed one the wrong way and managed to like <laughs> explode or something. I hope there was some point where it's like oh. just all over his face. <laughs> hey, um, we need bloopers, guys. Yeah. Let's go, Fox. We need some Let's bloopers. Do it. God damn it, Siri. I said seriously. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Which leads us into our literal cocktail. Like it was like Tom Cruise making cocktails behind the bar. Um, and later with his like with his percentages he does later like it was 60 percent of the time it works every time i'm like what is happening (laughs) okay carol so let's talk what do we got yeah oh my god so this whole scene it was very as you mentioned earlier it was very pulp (laughs) fiction-esque i'm sure that whoever has seen pulp fiction knows exactly what i'm talking about if not you probably know something related to it in some way um i love how danny of course is like well well, what are we gonna do to fix this because she just knows that he's malcolm's got something up his sleeve i don't know where he what what wikipedia deep dives he goes into but obviously he knows there's a cure and she just knows that he knows (laughs) um at this point she trusts him exactly yep and so so which of course he naturally has a cure because what else does this man do with his free time other than obsess over himself in a case um (laughs) but so he points out that you know the he uses a whole bunch of different words to which i'm like damn this show they make it i try really hard to nitpick this but they do it in a way that i like technically can't he points out that um something about the the neurotoxin is irreversible, which is true. So when, if you do happen to ingest or come into contact with C. botulinum and you get botulism, when they, they have an antitoxin for it that they can administer, but it cannot stop what is already coursing through your bloodstream. So if your face is paralyzed, if you're swallowing and your breathing is affected, they can't reverse that, that it's, it's going to, this is why Botox works for like three to four weeks is because whatever it binds to, it's going to relax those muscles. They're not going to contract. So it's too late for that. Um, but he also points out that there's a paralytic agent that was involved to which I'm like, well, yes, <laughs> the, the toxin itself is paralytic, but whatever the, you, you know, injected them with you ketamine and Malcolm. Well, no, not even like whoever, you know, as we come to find out, our killer decided to do a one-two punch and it's like, you obviously don't know what this toxin is, but fine. All right, whatever. You (laughs) inject them with ketamine and ketamine at all. All right, whatever. Um, So he's like, we need to bring his heart rate back up. And so then he's like, cocaine. And it's like, of course. Um, As one does. As one does. Oh boy. Um, What I think he was trying to make is um, something called dopamine hydrochloride, um, which is literally dopamine, which is what cocaine essentially acts on, um, mm-hmm. and sialine and lidocaine, which they just not have, which was very much not good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I Malcolm think that- said, Malcolm said it was fine. But Malcolm, yes, but Malcolm said it was fine. And <laughs> Dan was like, no, and he was like, it's fine. You sure? 
this is our DIY HDTV. Let's just make it ourselves. Okay, worst cooking show ever. Um, <laughs> literally. So yeah, so they just make up their own DIY dopamine hydrochloride. And then what is super interesting is, so if you got someone with botulism, when you're trying to reverse the effects of it, as they are, you know, wherever the botulism is taking place, if it has gotten to the point where it's reached your respiratory muscles, you would not realize that someone's dying in front of you unless you had um, a Coke's oximeter or like a, a finger clip. I wish I, I was going to bring mine home from work, but I forgot it because I had to use it today and I didn't clean it. Um, the thing that they put on your finger that measures how much oxygen is in your body, you would not know otherwise. Um, and so I was almost sort of hoping that Malcolm would like inject this solution into him and then him and Danny are waiting. And I was sort of hoping that they would like make it accurate and be like, yeah, you're not going to be able to tell if you, you know, save this guy or not, unless you had a pulse ox on him. But of course, then he, you know, revives we, himself and he jumps back up. That, that is, have that. yeah, no, <laughs> that's more for the audience. Honestly, that, no, it was the viewer has no idea. It was, it was, yeah. and so that's why I'm like mm, the medical science side of me versus the drama side of yeah. Mm, yeah. It's like, like the same thing with the forensics. Uh, you can't yeah, make no, a they, show take weeks to get a DNA result. They need it back right. yeah, in exactly. the same episode. So exactly, yes, you had to do a whole pool splash of luminol for just a little sword or yes. yeah. <laughs> and I did yeah. love that delay because for once I actually thought like oh she's it's not gonna work because yeah. at mm -hmm. some point that needs to happen yes as much as that's a little bit of like a misconduct lawsuit or something I guess but like I, I thought this was gonna be the moment and especially since Where they brought up well he gonna... was gonna die anyway like they reminded yeah. us he was gonna yeah. die anyway this would be the moment for it not to work and then of course we get Danny's whole I hate drugs. <laughs> oh my gosh. I do not miss drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Which another callback to her, which, like, these are the days and the kind of stress that I, I do not miss. Yes. Mm -hmm. I also love that Lou confirmed that like the whole what I called the postcoital flop backwards on their parts. Um, <laughs> that's what it reminds me of, of every movie, any movie where you see two people and then they go, oh, and like, well, like that's what it was. I know that's not what they were doing, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, that all of that was like completely improvised on set. Like they weren't sure how to end the scene or whatever. And so he just thought like, okay, they're both going to collapse Pop from adrenaline over. and just be like, <laughs> and then Malcolm goes all the way back. He's like, Done. yeah, yeah I, noticed, I, I noticed He's in my rewatch because like Danny kind of just drops back like onto her hands behind her. But then I, I when I rewatched, it was like, oh, wait, Malcolm just like fully like, dropped yeah. on the floor. Yep. 3115 is my probably second favorite shot of the episode. It's this really pretty dolly shot that starts on the street and then turns into the restaurant where Bertie is sitting. Yes. Um, total props to Joy for catching that from the time we see the dolly outside to the time we're facing Bertie inside, it is full on snowing. Mm -hmm. Like that is di very different times that those two things were shot. So good thing they got the dolly shot. Yeah, good thing they got the dolly shot when they did. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely snowing after that. Um, I love the trust but verify yeah. motto. I mean, yeah. that, like this is my motto. Um, and I saw on some social media that that's a line that Michael Sheen says in a different show, but it's not good mm -hmm. omens. Oh. 
it was some other show that he did, but he says like, trust, but verify. And so they're like, call back. And I should have really done better research, but I didn't. It was a Twilight show. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, and she also has a control the narrative callback, which brings us back to 110 um, yes. between Ainsley and Jessica as well. So there's a lot of little like first season nuggets popping in and yeah. out of this episode, which is yeah. nice. Um, also, I want to know, when do we get Grandma Milton? please <laughs> oh my goodness the amount of tweets i, was just I saw assuming they were dead like yeah. i was just assuming yeah. the grandparents were old and gone and then we're talking about mummy and i'm like whoa let's bring her in i want to mm -hmm. see who's yeah. yes mm -hmm. let's go yeah. and like she it, i feel like she has to be either betty white or someone and bring in She's... betty white with just a flask and like consistently drunk but sassy this is who grandma milton needs to be Team Grandma Milton. I want that shirt. Team Grandma Milton. All right. I want to see Jackie and I want to I'll see Grandma Milton. Yes. Give yes. us Jackie content, please. Please. Oh my goodness. At 34.40, I absolutely adore the fact that Danny acknowledges um, we still need a warrant, even though the door <laughs> is unlocked. To which our chaotic boy went, I'm just a civilian. And then okay, <laughs> yeah, he was like, he was like, well, I don't need one. I'm not official member of the NYPD. <laughs> and he tries to open through, which one of, one of my, the things that my husband said is like, this is why he's not officially on the NYPD. So they can skirt around all the, yes. the stuff. Yes. yes, he doesn't have a gun, but they make up for it by allowing him to not get busted for half the things the police would get busted for. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to I have to say this for Carrie and because once she pointed it out I could never unsee it at 35 or 39 when Francine is describing Summer and Malcolm only realizes yeah. who it is after yeah. she describes her breasts yep. <laughs> he's got like no like he's just looking yeah, at her like, like you know you know 100, you see 110 it, pounds five whatever brown hair teardrop sees summer <laughs> yeah yeah like, like, and, and, like it and it wasn't like he was just waiting for her to finish her sentence there was no, like no it was you could see it in his a light eyes. bulb the light yep. bulb went off once she said that and I just, <laughs> once carrie I once i saw it. carrie say that i was like oh oh my goodness wow okay it was absolutely like, do you, phenomenal do you pay that much attention to boobs malcolm and if so what's danny's bra size do you know <laughs> guarantee you he knows you guarantee knows. you he knows in his head already he's just yeah. nice enough not to bring it up <laughs> not yet someday place, he's gonna let it slide just place harassment. yeah that's what'll happen to he's already called her beautiful and then they'll go into a mall and be like oh that was your size right and just keep going <laughs> like it nothing happens whatsoever and she goes what um at 37 29 we are upstairs we have revealed that summer is actually lana and you know she's kind of holding donahue hostage up there um I absolutely adore, first of all, I hated, but loved the makeup there. Creepy, delightful, yeah. lip missing, wonderfully done, but yuck. Um, but there is this really awesome shot, again, Blue Diamond Phillips, you genius you, where you see the disfigured part of his face, but then the magnifier is specifically on his eye. Mm. So you see like this really close up eye and then all the aftermath of what Lana has already done. And you get just the horrific gore meets the actual just sheer terror mm -hmm. of his eyes close up. The actor does a great job of like silently delivering this, but mm -hmm. it's a really neat shot. 
And the first time I watched it during that shot, I just went, oh, geez. Cause it was like, you know, a <laughs> yes. close up of the lip yeah. and the blood. And yeah. but then rewatching for this, I was like, okay, this is actually a genius shot mm-hmm. to show what's happened versus what he's feeling. And it was just, it was a really cool shot. Yeah. A little creepy, but very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> my favorite movie in the history of time is The Princess Bride. Okay. If you've never seen it, that's fine. But all I could think of as Malcolm is telling Lana to let him live disfigured like a monster, all this is the to the pain scene from The Princess Bride. Have you guys seen this movie? Yes. I just okay. don't know what happened. So there's this whole so scene where he's laying just... in the bed. He's laying in the bed and he tells the prince, Humperdinck, like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take your face. I'm, I'm going to take your nose, then your ears, then your lips, then your eyes. And you're going to be forced to live and hear every child shriek at your existence. And I, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's this whole thing of, I'm going to mutilate you. And then I'm going to make you live with it. Live with it. And the way he describes like, <laughs> let him live like a monster, blah, blah. It was literally that scene in my head where he was like, I won't kill you, but I'll let you live with your horrible disfigurement, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so in my head, I was just like, oh, it's the princess bride. Good reference. <laughs> you can make me watch it the next time I'm up there with you, Caroline. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a, that is an Pristine original sin. Film. Our next wine night. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we have a, a minor little middle scene here where we have Dr. Capshaw dropping the butterscotch love. <laughs> that sounds really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Funny euphemism there. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize it until I said it. But dropping the butterscotch love sounded, sounds like things that sounded better in your head. <laughs> That really sounds way different than what I meant for it to be. Um, she gives him a piece of butterscotch, um, which shows us a couple things. So first of all, she deliberately says a couple times, like she flexes her status to him. Like they said, mm-hmm. you were going to do this. They said, you were going to butter me up. I'm in control. You're not, you know, she was very much, this is my house. Um, but then later she steps over the line. Mm-hmm. And is like, I'm, I'm in your space. So now we're close enough to touch. And then let me give you this little hard candy treat, um, which is what's leading me to believe that there's clearly a little bit of flirtation or something going on there. Um, yeah. And that's what the edit, at least for the promo looked like. But I, I still, something, like I can see this like a femme fatale where she's like, let me butter this guy up. And then I'm really secretly here to do him in. That's or I can that's see this kind of as the vibe a, let's pair right up now. and be Batman and Robin. Like yeah. I, yeah. I can't figure out which one it is. Yeah, in my I figure one of two point. ways. Mm-hmm. So at thirty nine fifty five, we come into this kind of final reveal moment between Malcolm and Ainsley. We find out that it was not indeed an actual murder; that it was pig's blood. It was a prank the whole time. Again, like I did not of all the no. outcomes. For yeah, this, full, Ainsley full pranking full. him was not even on my radar. So nope. well done, writers, because I yep. did not peg that for mm-hmm. any moment. Um, I have a couple things I want to hit before I let Kara go crazy with it. Um, I love how Ainsley walks through those double doors mm. exactly the way Endicott walked through those double doors in Scheherazade. Oh. At the end of Scheherazade, when they realize like, oh, Endicott, blah, blah, blah. He like walks through these doors to see Jess and it's just dun 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 like the way they angle him and she does this full-on strut through the doors like have you figured it out like and she she is becoming the person that started this whole thing for her um and i just i I just wrote ainsley looking evil af that's what i wrote in my (laughs) notes 
Um, and then also just Tom's performance in this scene is mm -hmm. there's something about when this man yells, the way his yells are like they crack when he yells. Yes. There's nothing he can do about it. It's just his yep. voice. But it hits so much harder, especially in a moment like this that's so emotional and mm -hmm. that's so, and he has. Um, you know, Carol can get into this her discussion about certain parts here, but he really has given up so much in the name of trying to keep this under wraps and making sure nobody's going to jail for it this and that and the other and not just like his physical he could go to jail he could be you know implicated in all of this stuff like he's given up his found family because now he's lying to all of them yeah. he's given up sanity and god knows what else but I think the the thing that might be motivating that yell the most is the fact that like his relationship with like Gil and Danny is it's forever changed. And Definitely. that's all in the name of him attempting to try to fix this situation and and all of that. And that was that was really rough. And and Caro can kind of dig into that some more. Yeah. I mean I you know what, Jess, actually, I want to hand this off to your thoughts first, because I think that I have sort of a very different perspective. Yeah, we definitely have different perspectives yeah. and not 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 necessarily entirely opposing ones, but yes. just looking at them from two completely different places, yeah. too. But I um, want to hand that off to you first. So yeah. you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, watching this scene was absolutely, first of all, breathtaking in terms mm. of how it was done so well. Yeah. And like Andy said, um, his voice cracking it was controlled but just devastating and that's and that's probably what made too. it more devastating and, yes both austin's austin and tom's lack of emotion yes or oh just like you shouldn't have lied to me like Absolutely. full on no acknowledgement of the effects it has taken no empathy like yeah i think we have fully reached sociopath mode like i don't know that we're saying on the spectrum anymore definitely. it's like she's in the middle of the damn target yeah at definitely. this point and so um i rewatched this scene a few times despite how like heartbreaking it was to watch malcolm go through this but one of the things that hit me and i don't want to say it kind of triggered me it didn't it didn't cause a problem for me but it did i don't know get me thinking i've been in I've been in the middle of this type of situation. Uh, a lot of people were throwing around the word like gaslighting and, and actually Ainsley says that and things like that. Um, you know, the screaming, the manipulation, the mm -hmm. him eventually apologizing. So when I say I've been in that position before, I don't mean I've been in the middle of anybody having been murdered and being a part <laughs> of it, but I have been in, I've, I've been in manipulative relationships and to, be in a relationship like that you don't see it going on mm -hmm. and then to watch this from the outside it was just like but but stop no like ah so it was just really frustrating and especially the getting him to turn around after he broke down and apologize because i've been forced into that corner many times and it's it just it, it happens it just in such a martin move it's yes that too because yeah. he does the same thing in season one when um when an eye of the needle when he was like well you're the one that started all this because you called the cops like no nah, bitch you murdered 23 people and <laughs> yeah, you yeah, tried to yeah. chloroform me don't yeah. make me apologize for this yeah like yeah, look so, 
like, yeah, some stuff went down and you didn't get told right away. Yeah. But at the same time, none of that was in like a nefarious, Muhahaha, I'm going to control you like a puppet. Like, you're just trying to keep everybody's asses out of jail. Like, look, yeah. like, and it, like to make someone apologize for something, yeah, that's, I see what you're saying. It's manipulators are, are great at getting someone to apologize for something that they did that hurt them. But yep. the thing that hurt the manipulator was a reaction to the manipulator doing something completely wrong. Exactly, because so, ain't none of so, this going down if you don't go full-on Lori Strode on Endicott's ass. Yeah, that leads me to Caroline's <laughs> different perspective. Okay, and so this is where I want to sort of like put a little disclaimer. Please do not come for me. I swear to God, I mean... <laughs> not, the, I, not, we're I, being uh, objective. <laughs> I really have to, yes, I really have to be objective, and I really... I don't want to seem like I'm playing devil's advocate, but I sort of saw this from the perspective of like, yes, feeling incredibly bad for Malcolm, especially because I feel like this is one of the first scenes where like, as Malcolm's talking, it sounds like he's literally crying, um, mm -hmm. which I think is what broke me more than anything. Is it's, yes. It sounds like he's literally breaking down. Um, and I don't know if we've really seen that so far on the show. We have seen Tom do all sorts of complete breakdowns and falling apart but this was something else entirely I just want to point out that in some ways Ainsley is actually right he actually was kind of gaslighting her and yes we can talk about how this compares to Martin Martin was killing people deliberately though and like intentionally at least as far as we know. We don't know if this started out with a whole blackout thing and then he just was like, oh, well, I guess I really like this. I love this. This is the and best. Yes, this is uh, this. Some nice serotonin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at least as far as we know, what happened with Ainsley was just a complete blackout moment, um, which Malcolm witnessed and then took it and gaslighted her. The, the definition of gaslighting, at least as far as wikipedia and stuff is concerned is it is taking someone's memories and thoughts and feelings and manipulating them and that is exactly what happened mm -hmm. ainsley killed somebody yeah. malcolm manipulated her memories and said i did this and then when she was starting to remember things again he kept saying like oh you're just in like this you're processing trauma you're doing this and you're doing that which okay. is kind of true but also he was he was manipulating her reality okay. and yeah. i, I mean, don't want to I don't want to downplay the fact that that must have been very upsetting for Ainsley as well. But I also understand that from Malcolm's perspective, he has given up everything and he has sacrificed so much. And as Angie said, his bond with Danny and Gil is irreversibly changed now. And that is devastating. This is, this is another big turning point. We are not yeah. going to be able to come back from this period, yep. no matter what. Yep. Um, but it also made me just think that this is, especially when Ainsley points out, like she says something to Malcolm, like you sound just like dad or something. It just reminded me like, this is, we need to remember that the both of them are children of the same parents and Martin and Jessica have dealt with Martin's <laughs> proclivities <laughs> and subsequent <laughs> arrest in very interesting ways and that they are the byproduct of the environment yeah. and the personalities of the people who raised them and so Malcolm did a bad thing Ainsley did a bad thing 
we obviously have to consider a whole bunch of other stuff with from Ainsley's perspective, you know, is this sociopathy. I feel like the the prank, however, is the part of this oh, that yeah. really yes, takes it to that takes it like absolutely. A, okay. Yes. Because I, I get that, like, okay, yeah, they lied and, and all that. And that, you know, yes. that would be very frustrating to learn. But to take it to that level is the part where I'm mm-hmm. really thinking like the sociopathy is 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 starting to run because any person yeah would understand that that is a level too far yes no matter what has happened you want to yell you want to scream you want to end a relationship with somebody fair argument you're doing what dad would do but that is the one thing in this whole scenario and her just well yeah you lied Mm -hmm. yeah like there is no computing the absolute bombasticness of what she has done that for me tells me that she's like past a point of of no return and that final moment where she has that great line of like you know we're whitley's we you know this murder thing is kind of our deal like that that flips the full-blown ainsley theme like it's epic and loud as she like turns around snaps and leaves Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. and just malcolm's face of like yes like he knows now mm-hmm. we talked about this we talked about when you're involved in a crime with multiple people all it takes is one person to go cuckoo and yeah. then that there is no safety net anymore whatsoever and so malcolm fully knows at this point that she is an absolute loose cannon there is no guarantee about anything she's gonna do say whatever and that puts her him jessica like everybody now is in serious hot water like this yeah. could go one of a thousand different ways um which is so terrifying knowing that this new character simon is now headed their way like she's a full-on loose cannon with europol en route to nyc and from previews has... from previews i mean he's got photos of the whitleys yep. like yeah, yeah he, he has a good idea with who people did this. in mind yeah yes, yes. yeah um and that's what's so scary because, you know, she, when you have that kind of lack of under like social setting, understanding and empathy understand, like she's cracking jokes at the dinner table to anyone that half a brain oh could have been like, Ooh, what does that mean? So now does that yeah. mean the next time she's around Simon or something, like there's going to be a comment made and she goes <laughs> and like says something that's yeah. incredibly incriminating. Like, no, no, that's not the joke to make right now. Ainsley, mm. you can't be saying things like that yeah. right now. Um, and we know that she interviews him as a reporter and, and things like that. So I'm yeah. really intrigued as to, to how they play that. Yeah. I'm also super freaking excited that we have Alan coming. Yeah. I, mean, I love Catherine Zeta-Jones, but I got to be truthful. My own personal wheelhouse. I was so excited when we found him out. He is a Broadway icon, which this is the Broadway year. Apparently we're just yeah. going to everybody. Is Aaron Tveit busy? Because I would really love to have him on the show. Please. Can we get Lynn Angie Manuel Miranda? Yes. Can we yes. get Lynn, yeah. can uh, we get the- Chris Jackson? Yeah. You know, let's, the, you know, where's Philippa Sue when you need her? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <Rick>. <laughs> <laughs> like I, he's just, he's an, he's a Broadway icon. He's an LGBTQ icon. He is zero f's given and i love the man like he oh, yes. absolutely will do and say whatever the hell he pleases and does not care and i love it i love it i'm really excited to what he's gonna bring you can already tell even in that small scene that he's given this guy a little bit of flair mm-hmm. like he's like i'm simon hooks yes. you know like he's got like that whole i'm headed to new york city oh my gosh um, i wish i could just I'm like watch it. them film this with him he must I know okay first of all and set. I'm loving like the what was it a snap or a, a 
Instagram video where Instagram him video, and Trump yeah. and another actress are singing. Yeah, like, oh, this is the content I need. That was Bring amazing. It. So good. So I'm super stoked. Uh, we're not necessarily going to go into the extended preview just yet because we've got some weeks to fill some bonus content for y'all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, we are going to have some bonus content episodes throughout. They're not going to be full, full length, but we're not going to just go radio silent for the next six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's got to survive us till April 13th, folks. Come on, um, fandom. We, we, we can down the hatch here. We can do what Liz said, write a lot of fandom, do your yes. part to, yes. to help keep us going. Write a lot of fandom, write a lot of fandom. Write a lot of fandom. I'm sure. It didn't sound fan right, but fish. I didn't even catch it. You know, my brain is a scary place. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget that we do have Liz's giveaway where you can get a free print of anything that she has done. We're going to post the entry tweet on Twitter and all you have to do is retweet it. And that is your entry. And that is going to go same time, even though there's no episode next week, that will be until 9 PM Eastern standard time on Tuesday. And then we will announce a winner after that. So make sure you retweet. And in the meantime, we'll see you around. Catch you on the flip side, guys.